Okay, let me start out today by giving some love to everybody on all six of our campuses and those of you who are joining us on the live stream. Hey, let's all welcome everybody else in our church family today. Come on, y'all. Let's welcome everybody. Good, 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 good. Now, if you're a regular here at Compassion, you know that last week was Student Takeover Weekend, and at every one of our campuses, our Compassion students were singing and leading and, and man, having a huge impact on our worship services. Let's just thank God for that next generation that's rising up. New disciples on every campus, man, strong, strong. Now, last week, we also launched an important series of messages that we're calling Generation to Generation about the impact that every generation can and should make on the kingdom of God here at Compassion Christian Church. Now, you probably already know this, but for the first time in history, we actually have five generations all worshiping and serving together at our church every week. These are just a few families where there are four generations of disciples who worship here uh, every week, which is awesome. And friends, before this service is over, before this series is over, you will know absolutely for certain that that kind of generational diversity is God's will for his family. That's his will. Now, that generational diversity can be a source of some frustration especially if you are easily irritated. But there is no question about it. That same diversity is a sign of great health and strength in our church. Now, I was online this week reading some letters that were written by little kids. And, you know, little kids always have an interesting perspective on everything. Uh, here's what the first one was about marriage. It said, Dear Sean, I'm breaking up with you. Uh, you have not talked to me since the day you asked me out. That was three months ago. You need to get it together or you will never get married, and that would be sad. You should get married, just not to me. Rachel, all right? <laughs> now, anybody here from an older generation know for sure Sean is going to get broke up with a few more times if he doesn't get his stuff together. You know what I'm saying? All right. Here's another one. Dear God, I bet it is very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in my family, and I can never do it. <laughs> Now, you know, friends, it is hard to love all of everybody in the world unless you have the Holy Spirit. Amen? And then unconditional love becomes kind of this supernatural family trait because that's how our Father is. And that's what this Generation to Generation series is all about. It's about each generation loving and investing in every other generation and making our church stronger because we do. Now, I heard this phrase this week, and I love it. Each of us needs all of us. Let's say it all together, y'all. Big voice, like lions. Now, come on. Each of us needs all of us, which is why I'm wearing this suit today. Y'all feeling this? You see it? I'm telling you, man. Now, you know, <laughs> please, humility forbids me to enjoy that applause, all right? You're right. My mother is going to be here with us this week, and you know what she's going to be thinking? Thank the Lord he's finally dressing right for church. I just don't like it when he preaches with his shirt tail out. Anybody want to guess what generation she's from? That would be the War of 1812. No, really, I'm just kidding, kidding about that, Mama. Now, the reason I'm wearing this suit is because this is how my daddy dressed for church every week when I was little. This is, how, this is my dad. Good looking. And that's not Charlton Heston. That's my father. What happened to me? I don't know. That good looking young man right there, that would be me. Now, my dad dressed it this way for church. He was born in 1925. There are still people from his generation who come to our church dressed just like this for worship every week. Do you know why? 
because it is an expression of respect for them. It's not because the Bible says to dress this way because the Bible doesn't. But to the generation where they grew up, it was a sign of respect to which I would say, praise the Lord. And listen, any extra biblical thing that you choose to do to honor Jesus without judging anybody who doesn't, praise the Lord, right? But the truth is, I dress this way every week when I preached here, when I came to this church in 1984. You know why? Because I was 27 years old. We had elders who had underwear older than me. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm telling you, man. And I mean, we had this sweet little church on Tibet Avenue that was filled with people who loved Jesus. And man, because we loved Jesus, we did whatever it took to reach that next one and lead them to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Amen? We're still on that path. And so over the years, to accomplish that, we have made a lot of changes, good changes. You know why I quit wearing a suit like this to preach every week? It's when we moved in this building. And this building is so big that it's intimidating to a new person who has no church background. And the last thing we wanted anybody to think when they looked at our building was, I don't have nice enough clothes to go to church there. So our leaders intentionally became more casual so that we could reach more lost people. And friends, I'm just telling you, we have made changes like that over and over and over again. And our older generation has actually applauded those changes, even though some of those changes made them less comfortable than they had been back in the past. Now, here's what I love about the older generation at our church. They have encouraged and endured so much change because they want to reach that next generation and the next and the next and the next. Now, sadly, friends, that is not the norm. It is the norm. I'm telling you, a multi-generational ministry was the norm in the New Testament. But you've got to know it is not the norm in church world today. You know why? Because it's hard. It's hard. Let me tell you about two churches, uh, one that I consulted with uh, here in Savannah and one that I served that were not generationally diverse. Uh, one church was in Savannah, and it prided itself on not changing. It was a point of pride. Dude, they did everything exactly the way they did it 50 years ago, and they shamed anybody who tried to change anything, and they pretended that that shaming was some kind of spiritual maturity. You know what the Bible calls that? Legalism. It is a terminal virus that kills every church that gets infected by it. And I'll tell you one way it kills churches. There were no young people in that church. No young people in that church. Now, do you know how weak a church is when there are no new, young Christ followers in the church? Now, if your goal is to have a quiet church, your wish will come true because there won't be much noise. But let me tell you, there won't be any joy either. No baptisms, no baby dedications, no life change stories, nobody clapping because there ain't nothing to clap about. No life change, no intergenerational anything. Dude, that church had their way. They kept their music exactly the way they wanted it. They kept the volume of that music exactly the way they wanted it. And all the young people left because they made it clear, we don't want you. We're not tolerating you. Now, when I met that church, they were about 40 funerals away from closed. The other church was one I served in Rock Hill, South Carolina. I became their pastor when I was 23 years old. I was shaving about two times a week back in the day. <laughs> the oldest guy in our church was in his 40s. 
Now, do you know how weak a church is when there are no older, wiser, seasoned, experienced Christ followers in that church? Listen, nobody in that little church had been married more than about 10 years. We didn't have any of those older, loving believers who have seen everything, faced everything, fought the good fight, and they can tell you how to win. We didn't have anybody who had successfully raised godly kids who could tell us where the landmines were. You know, Job 12, 12 says, Is not wisdom found among the aged? Dude, does not long life bring understanding? Can I tell you, both of those churches were weak they were weak because they lacked a diversity of generations all loving each other, all learning from each other, all serving each other together because we are better together. So say it, all, all, say it with me, y'all. We are better together. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the five generations that make up Compassion Christian Church and the strength they bring and the challenges they face. Now, the oldest generation in our church are called the Builders. Uh, Tom Brokaw called them the greatest generation, and I think he might be right about that. Uh, the builders were all born before 1945, so they are 75 to 100, 150 years old. All right, <laughs> you know. So let me see your hand if you were born in that generation. If you're over 75 years of age, let me see. Oh, look at all these beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people. Let's praise the Lord for them. Praise the Lord for them. Yes. Now the next generation were called baby boomers, and they were born from 1946 to 1964. That means they are 56 to 74 years old. They're a little bit vain, so this is going to hurt, y'all. But raise your hand if you were born in that generation. All right, there they are. There they are. Let's praise the Lord for them. Come on. Let's praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, quit showing off. Put your hand down now, all right, y'all? Now, th these are my people, all right? <laughs> I'll tell you, I was born right in the middle of that generation. These folks represent the baby boom that took place when all of the World War II soldiers were reunited with their spouses after the war, it is the biggest generation of Americans in the history of our country up to that point. 73 million baby boomers in that generation. And let me tell you, it's interesting to me that the largest generation was followed by the smallest generation, which is called Generation X. Now, not X because they're no good, but X because they're going X, Y, Z. All right, that's, that's how that works, all right? Now, these folks were born between 1965 and 1982. They are 38 to 55 years old. Raise your hand if you were born in Generation X. All right, let's praise the Lord for all these folks. Look at them. Look at them. All right, awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, sadly, one reason that Generation X is so small is because so many of them were aborted. I'm telling you, abortion on demand became the law of the land in 1974. My generation decimated Generation X with abortion. And frankly, another contributing factor was that so many boomer marriages failed because my generation came up during the sexual revolution and rejected the values that had made families strong and durable during the builder generation. And let me tell you, that affected Generation X. Following Generation X were the millennials. Now, these are folks who were born from 1983 to the year 2000. They are 20 to 37 years old. Raise your hand if you're part of the millennial generation. Let's see all of those folks. Man, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Future's looking bright, y'all. Future's looking bright. And then finally, after, you know, uh, and let me just say this. There are almost as many millennials as there are boomers. So, I mean, this is a huge generation, a huge culture-shaping uh, group of folks. And then following the millennials, 
uh, our Generation Z, which it looks like it will be the biggest generation of all. I mean, over 90 million people in Gen Z. Uh, these are born from the year 2001 to 2013. They are 19 years old and younger. Raise your hand if you were born in Generation Z. Do we, God bless you, young man. There he is. Yeah, look at this. Really good-looking people in that generation. Look at you back there, bro. Glad, 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 glad. Now, I hope you were looking around at all the hands that went up because it is obvious that we have a lot of folks from every generation and friends that is an indicator of the health of our ministry. And so this week, we're going to talk about the builders and the boomers and the special strength they bring and the challenges they face as we build this multi-generational ministry that will honor the Lord Jesus who died to save every generation. So let me just start out today by saying thank God for the builders. Now, like I said, uh, sometimes this generation is referred to as the greatest generation. And let me tell you, for good reason. They lived through the Great Depression and World War II, and they did not just survive, brother, they thrived. Now, you think about it. Last October, our national unemployment rate was 3.5%. That is the lowest it has been in 50 years, 3.6% today. During the Great Depression, unemployment hit an all-time high of 24.9%. Now, you think about that. One out of every four Americans couldn't find a job. I'm not talking about couldn't find a job they like or couldn't find a job to pay them what they wanted to make. They couldn't find a job to put food on the table. At the same time, the stock market crashed. Poor farming techniques turned the breadbasket of America into a dust bowl. Bro, times are hard. Let me ask you all a question. Do any of you have a grandparent who is a hoarder? You know what I'm talking about. You, you go in their garage, bro, and they got boxes of old shoes and old clothes and old car parts and magazines. And if you ask them, why are y'all keeping all that stuff? What do they say? One day I might need that. One day I might need that. You know why they think that way? Because they lived through a time of scarcity. They experienced life when, listen, they know what it's like to not be able to go out and just buy something, not have the money to buy it or even the stuff to buy. And then on the heels of the Great Depression, a tyrannical dictator in Germany attacked every ally we had in Germany, uh, in Europe. And then a ruthless emperor in Japan launched a sneak attack on us while we were asleep on a Sunday morning. And let me tell you, our country got into World War II, and my dad and his four brothers all volunteered to go and defend the world from tyranny. And five years later, 80 million people had lost their lives. Think about that. That's the population of Germany today. 80 million people lost their lives. And, you know, I grew up in a church that was full of World War II vets. Most of the guys in my church had tattoos when I was growing up. But they were all ship names, unit tattoos, stuff like that. Never heard a single war story. I never heard a single war story from those guys. And I couldn't figure it out until I saw Saving Private Ryan. When I saw that movie, I realized why those old men did not talk about what happened during the war. Because those old farmers went off to World War II and they saw horrible things that they could never have imagined and they just didn't know how to process it. And let me tell you, that stuff affected that generation. Now, the reason that generation is called builders is because after they saved the world from tyranny, dude, they came home and built America, right? I mean, all the infrastructure, roads, airports, schools, hospitals, power plants that we enjoy today, they built. I mean, all the houses that Chip and Joanna Gaines love to renovate, <laughs> they built them. 
Now, this, this is the generation that harnessed atomic energy and developed vaccines. And I mean, they sent a man to the moon. They built the platform for all of the technological advances that we enjoy today. And if you want to sum up the builders in just a few words, you might say, these folks are practical. They are practical. Man, they spend money carefully and they save a lot. They put a high value on wise money management. You know, and because of that, they are generous. They're the most generous de uh, generation that's ever lived. Man, they'll give you the shirt off their back if they think it'll really help. And they're relational. Man, I can remember my granddaddy getting me and my brother in his truck and driving 25 miles an hour up to this little country store in our little village out in the sticks. And we'd get a Coca-Cola and sit out on a bench in front of that store. And it seemed like for hours he would tell us the same stories over and over and over again. But you know why he did that? Because that generation knows how to linger. And we need to get that back. I mean, we, we would do well to get that back. They're also disciplined. Do they work hard? They don't make excuses. I mean, everything is much more black and white to them. Maybe too much so. Uh, and they're proper. Let me tell you, they're careful how they dress. They're careful how they talk. They are a dignified generation. But I think if I could pick one word that would describe the builders better than any other word, it would be loyal. Let me tell you, the majority of them have been faithful to their marriages, their churches, their careers, their communities. They have been faithful to their country. And can I just say on behalf of the four younger generations gathered here today who are building their lives on what you built, I just want to say thank you to the builder generation. We are blessed because of your lives and your love. Let's show these folks some appreciation one more time, y'all. Come on. Love you. Love you. Glad to have you in the church. Now, what's the challenge for this generation? I can think of a couple of biblical examples that might help the greatest generation stay great and finish well. And one is in 2 Kings chapter 2. So if you've got your Bible, turn to 2 Kings chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible, I'm going to send a builder over to show you what a Bible looks like and help you find your way through here, all right? 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23, is the story of a builder age prophet by the name of Elisha. Now, I've never preached on this story before, and I've always wanted to. You all ready for this? Buckle up. Elisha went up from there to Bethel, and as he was traveling up the road, some young boys came out of the city and made fun of him. They said, go on up, Baldy. Go on up, Baldy. And he turned around and saw them, and he called God's judgment down on them, and two female bears came out of the woods and ripped 42 of them boys to pieces. Now, I know you're in shock, but can I just say that if you have a pastor with male pattern baldness, let that be a lesson to you, right? <laughs> Right there. Now, now think about what we actually see in this story. Why did the Holy Spirit put this story in the Bible? We see disrespect for an older person by the young, and we see resentment of the young because of their ignorance and their immaturity. And I think one of the great temptations as we get older is to resent people who make us feel disrespected. Man, it is so easy to fall into the trap of resenting younger generations. Listen, who may never even have been taught how to show respect. They're so immature, they don't even know what they don't know. But let me just say, that is not the only way for an older person to respond to someone who is immature or unappreciative. Let me show you another passage over in 2 Timothy, just on the other end of the Bible, y'all. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 4. This is an amazing story. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to a young man that he's been mentoring, 
And this young man is going to go on to become one of the greatest leaders in the New Testament church. He's going to take the gospel forward into another generation. But look at what Paul says to Timothy. He says, I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. Now, many scholars believe that Timothy was a young man who struggled with confidence issues. He was too sensitive. He got hurt really easy, and he needed to toughen up. But he loved Paul, and he felt like God brought this older man into his life as kind of a Christian father figure because Paul, Timothy's daddy was not a believer. Think about how many kids in our church are just like that who would benefit from some godly man, showing them a little attention, showing them some mentoring. Man, look at how this blessed bless Timothy. And then, you know, listen, Paul doesn't resent Timothy because he's so sensitive. I mean, he's, he mentors him. I mean, here's a kid with obvious weaknesses that Paul chooses to intentionally invest in. But look at the next verse. He says, Timothy, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you as well. What are we looking at here? Three generations of faith. Three generations of blessing because Timothy and his mother and his grandmother, his mother and grandmother invested in the spiritual strength of his life. Now his dad might have been out of the picture and as far as we know he was. But those older generations spent their lives building strong faith into their son and their grandson. And man, when Paul, you know, is led by God into this young man's life and he connects with Timothy, I think it's the answer to Lois and Eunice's prayers. Dude, Timothy respects the wisdom and the experience of that older man. And friends, all of this happened because Timothy respected an older generation. And Paul and Lois and Eunice looked past his weakness and his immaturity. And dude, they relentlessly invested in him. And everybody, including us 2,000 years later, are better off because Paul and Lois and Eunice invested in that young man. Now, I heard about a kid who said his granddaddy had OCD. Now, I'm not talking about obsessive compulsive disorder. I'm talking about old, cranky, and dangerous. <laughs> Y'all know people like that? You know old people like that? I think I saw that guy on 17 this afternoon. Kind of reminds me of a kid who went to his grandfather and said, Papa, do you know how to make the sound of a frog? And he said, of course I do. Why you ask? He said, well, Grandma says when you croak, we're going to Disney World. <laughs> <You know? laughs> now, builders... You have spent your whole life acquiring the love and the wisdom and the experience that you have today. Please, please don't waste it resenting younger generations. That is below you. It's ungodly. It's below you. Please be like Lois and Eunice and Paul. Dude, intentionally invest what you have learned and the generations that are following you, please teach and serve in ways here at church that put you around younger people. Listen, man, just smiling at them might open up a door, and God knows where it will go. You know, I grew up in a little tiny country church, and there was an older man in that church named Clarence Wilder. And he ran a junkyard and a just shade tree mechanic kind of shop, worked with his hands on cars every day. Man, he dressed up in a suit and a white shirt for church on Sunday, but the grease from working on those cars had so stained his hands, he could never get his hands clean. He was just a hard worker. But let me tell you, every Sunday morning, he was passing out programs at our church. Every Sunday morning, he looked for me, shook my hand, and when he did, he gave me a stick of juicy fruit gum. 
every week. And he asked me how I was doing. And he told me jokes sometimes. And he helped me fix my bicycle. And, and later on, you know, he helped me fix my VW Bug because my dad was in heaven and I didn't have that guy around. And let me tell you, he was an example of a positive, generous, loving old man in my life. I think one of the reasons God has blessed my life so much is I've been collecting old men all my life. And they have blessed, 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 blessed me. Now, friends, look at me. We need every student in our church to feel loved by some adult other than their parents. Yes, yes, yes. Let's thank God for that. Listen, this is the way we do it. If you're sitting here going, well, I don't, I'm not really involved in church. Well, you've got to repent of that. You've got to repent of that. The next generation needs you. We need this. Builders, please get involved in ministry here. You know, just so you can mentor and, and bless and, and love people who are younger than you. I mean, you want your grandkids to get saved, don't you? Don't you want your grandkids to reap what you're sowing, even if they live in Seattle or Kansas City? Don't you want them to reap what you're sowing here in Savannah? Listen, we had an elder here named Elwin Caldwell. He was one of the elders who hired me, I mean, way back in the day, way back in the day. Now, you can imagine how much our church changed since 1984 uh, until, you know, as we tried to reach one generation after another, after another, after another. And Elwin, Elwin's old school, man. <laughs> so we were having lunch one day, and I asked him, I said, Elwin, how do you like the music we're doing in our worship services these days? And he said, Cam, it's not my cup of tea. But if God is using it to get young people saved, I can deal with it. And I am so thankful that God has blessed his church this church with so many older people who put their purpose above their preferences. Let's thank God for them one more time, y'all. Come on. Let's thank God for them one more time. It's amazing. All right, let's thank God for the boomers. Now, two of the most recognizable baby boomers in the world are Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. Both of them born in 1955. Both of them born right in the middle of the baby boom. Uh, Steve Jobs founded Apple. Uh, Bill Gates founded Microsoft. Both have absolutely changed our world for good and bad, right? Good and bad, you know. Playboy went out of business because anybody in America can see nudity on their phone for free anytime they want to. That's the curse that came with all this good stuff. I read this week about a guy who said, I possess a device in my pocket that is capable of accessing all the information known to man and I use it to look at pictures of cats and get into arguments with strangers. <laughs> that's, that's our day, right? I mean, is that a goofy culture or what? Now, let me show you another couple of baby boomers. Uh, this is Rick and Kay Warren. Uh, Rick is the pastor of Saddleback Valley Community Church in California. He built a church with a global impact. He had the prayer at a presidential inauguration. Uh, he wrote a life-changing book called The Purpose Driven Life, which is one of the highest-selling, most translated books of all time. Rick made $40 million on that book and gave over 90% of it to fund ministries around the world. When Fortune magazine heard about that, they did an article on him. The writer was dumbfounded by his generosity and his humility. And millions of people uh, were inspired to philanthropy because of that man's example right there. Now, Rick and Kay also had a son who suffered with mental illness all his life. He eventually took his own life and broke their hearts. And Sarah and I were at Saddleback to hear him his first Sunday back after that tragedy. I'm telling you, man, amazing lows, but amazing faith. Now, these are, these are also two leaders 
who have had a profound impact on our world and the way growing, life-giving churches fulfill their mission every day, everywhere. Baby boomers. They dream big. They think big. They hope to throw a big wake. Now, you know, we talked about how the Great Depression and World War II affected the builder generation. What were the cultural forces uh, that affected the boomers? You know what, number one? Television. Television. The boomers were the first generation to grow up with a TV. I mean, for the first time, families would sit around a television at night to be entertained by wholesome shows like the Andy Griffin Show, you know, where Andy would teach Opie positive, godly life lessons and life, uh, godly values every week on television. Things have certainly changed since then, right? You know another influence on the baby boomers? Affluence. Affluence. Friends, because of the foundation of peace and education that was given to us by the builders, dude, the boomers were the best educated, most hopeful generation that's ever lived in our country, and they leveraged that for lifestyle. Bro, they left the farm and they went to college and they moved into the cities and they went into business with more tools and more confidence than any generation ever in the history of the world. And that has been both a blessing and a curse because it created a cultural shift from sacrifice to self-centeredness. Like I said, you know, the, the sexual revolution hit in the early 60s. And let me tell you, the boomers, many of whom went to churches just like I did, dude, they just lapped it up. You know what city in America, in the Southeast, has the number one highest incidence of STDs, sexually transmitted diseases, in the Southeast? Do you know what city that is? The Villages. It's an adult retirement center in Florida. Do you know why? Because all those crazy free love kids from Woodstock back in the 60s are now in their 60s. In their 70s, retired baby boomers wolfing around, sleeping with anybody they can, not marrying anybody, because that might affect their Social Security or their alimony or their retirement funding, and they're certainly not going to make a sacrifice for spiritual integrity. And so they live morally embarrassing, le legacy-neutralizing lives of self-centeredness. But ironically, if you were to pick two words to describe the baby boomers, you know, you might pick honest and hopeful. Now, I think baby boomers brought a sense of honesty to our world. For example, do you know how people kept up with what was happening in World War II back in the day? Radio. They would sit around a radio and listen to some, you know, commentator tell you what happened that day. But for baby boomers, we watched the Vietnam War on TV. We saw it on television and our generation called for a higher level of accountability than ever before because we could see what was going on. We watched Neil Armstrong take that first small step for man and that first giant step for mankind on the moon. We witnessed the police in Birmingham turn dogs loose on women and children. And the civil rights movement won on television as Americans watched that horrible event and realize this kind of racial hate is evil. It's got to stop. Baby boomers watched John F. Kennedy and Martin Luther King be assassinated on television. We watched Richard Nixon resign his presidency because of Watergate. We watched it on TV. And let me tell you, that had an effect on our generation. Now, friends, the baby boomers are without doubt the most optimistic generation that has ever lived. But also, I think in many ways, 
more honest about our faults and our failures. Dude, we put our stuff on television. Now, you know who was like that in the Bible? I think it was the Apostle Paul. I mean, think about the Apostle Paul. He did stuff as a young man that was pure rebellion against the will of God. But when he finally saw the truth on the Damascus Road, he got honest about it, and he started making some positive change. Now, look with me at 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, just a few pages to the left here if you turned over there for the last one. 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul is thinking back about his life, and here's what he says. This is a trustworthy saying that everybody should accept. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. Think about that. 2,000 years ago, he confessed his moral failure. He is honest. I'm a man with a huge sin problem. I've got a huge sin history. I cannot save myself. I tried, and honest to God, I failed miserably. But look at what he says next. But, and that is the biggest little word in the Bible right there, isn't it? That's the life change word right there. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience, even with the worst of sinners. And then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul is saying, when I am honest about my sin and my failure and the enormity of God's grace in my life, man, I become an example of how God can change the worst of sinners. And then everybody else realizes, hey, there's hope for me too. You know, every time we have a family series here at Compassion, Christian counseling offices fill up all over town. And one of those counselors asked me one time, Cam, what's going on at Compassion? I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, we have more clients from Compassion than all the other churches in Savannah combined. I told him, dude, it's simple. The gospel changes lives. Can I get amen? amen? People repent when they love Jesus. They get honest about their sin and intentional about repentance and making positive changes that glorify the Lord. Now, let me just land this thing with four steps from Psalm 78. Turn over to Psalm 78. This is right in the middle of your Bible now. Psalm 78 that my buddy Brian Hunt says will show baby boomers and builders uh, the way forward. Look at Psalm 78, verse 1. The writer says, My people hear my teachings. They listen to the words of my mouth. Man, I will open my mouth of the parable. I will utter hidden things from of old, things that we have heard and known, things that our ancestors told us. Man, the psalmist begins by saying to older generations, open your mouth. Dude, speak up. In their book, Good Faith, two Christian researchers said, if Christians are to be agents of good faith, we got to overcome the real or perceived barriers to talking to people that we don't already agree with. Man, we need to become experts at engaging in difficult conversations. Not condemning people, not preaching at people, not, not being, you know, I'm up here and all you are down here, but talking to people. Man, we are called to be loving people of conviction and strength and confidence who have a New Testament worldview. And we speak up out of love to a world that is far from God. You know, so I think so often people like us think, well, you know, I'm just going to live a godly life out in a culture and maybe Jesus will just rub off on them somehow. And friends, let me tell you, that's the power of a good example and praise the Lord. But you've got to speak up. You ain't leading anybody to Christ by your example. You've got to speak up. This is a gift that you can give to the next generations. Man, open your mouth. Look at verse 4. 
I will not hide them. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. Man, the psalmist says, guys, don't hide. Don't hide. You know, I think this is a problem for both builders and boomers. Because we know we've made some terrible mistakes in our past marriages and past lifestyle choices. And sometimes pride silences us. Sometimes shame silences us. And that silence is deadly. Dude, don't hide the grace that you have received from the Lord Jesus. Man, if your kids want to talk about your past mistakes, talk about it. Be humble. Be honest. Don't make excuses. Don't glorify your stupid decisions, but let them learn from your mistakes. Man, for God's sake, for your children and grandchildren's sake, don't let pride or shame mute all the wisdom that God has put in your life because you don't want to admit that you didn't get it all right all the time. Bro, nobody gets it all right all the time. Be like the Apostle Paul, humble. I was the worst, but confident in God's grace. Let me tell you, you'll gain far more respect with people when you are confident about what Jesus has done for you that you could not do for yourself than if you're just timid about it. Then he goes on in verse 5. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so that the next generation would know them, even children not yet born. And then they, in turn, would tell their children and then their children would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds and would keep his commandments. Friends, what he's saying is we need to teach God's ways to that next generation. Look, look around the world you live in. It is burning because our world thinks you can make a success out of sin. People that go to school with you, people that go to work with you, people in your neighborhood think that if they just get lucky enough, they can make a success out of sin. You know why they believe that? Because they don't understand God's way. And when you understand God's way, life doesn't work. You know why so many, you know, we have so many adults who are still living with their parents? Because we stopped teaching the value of hard work. You know why the next generations are drowning in debt earlier and earlier in life? Because we stopped teaching the value of giving and saving and managing money. Do you know why the population of Gen X has been so affected by abortion? Because we stopped teaching about sexual purity. Let's be the people who don't stop, who don't stop living and teaching a righteous life. People who are faithful all the way to the end. We're living it out and we're talking it up in front of the people that we love the most. And then the psalmist concludes in verse 8 by saying, they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts are not loyal to God, whose spirits are not faithful to him. You know what he's reminding us of here? Lives are at stake. Lives are at stake. I'm telling you, one of the saddest generational legacy miscarriage verses in the Bible is found in the book of Joshua, which chronicles, you know, God's miraculous deliverance of the Jewish people from Egyptian slavery to the promised land. And in Judges chapter 2, Joshua says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors had died, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. That generation that saw Moses part the Red Sea, saw God provide water from a rock, saw 
you know, manna come from heaven and quail come out of nowhere so they could eat every day in the wilderness. Saw God provide a, a cloud, you know, to cover them from the hot sun in the day and a pillar of fire to keep them warm at night. When that generation died, there arose another generation who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Why? Because their parents did not pass on their wisdom and experience and relationship with God. If you think that's going to happen because you bring them here to church, you got to know better than that. you got to know better than that. Friends, I've seen this in my own ministry. I'm telling you, two generations after the strongest believing grandparents you've ever seen, you can have kids to whom Jesus means nothing. Kids who don't even know how to say thank you for a meal. You know why? Because they neither know the Lord nor what he has done for us because their parents and their grandparents didn't teach them. I'm telling you, there's a lot more at stake here than whether your kids and grandkids grow up to be Georgia fans or drive a Lexus. We have been positioned by God to make a spiritual mark on the next generations. We have been given the tools to do it. Let's decide today to make a good mark. You know, David said, since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. So even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, until I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Father, thank you. Thank you for this call to serve you in our generation and to make an impact on the generations that follow us. I want to thank you for all of the older men and women in our church who are involved in serving. They love on kids. Lord, they talk to young people. Father, they're, they're mentoring newly married couples. Lord, they're taking the experience that they have gained and they're pouring it into that next generation. And I want to thank you, Lord, for all the young people in our church who are looking for an older person to mentor them, looking for an, you know, an older person who has kind of set an example that they can follow because they didn't have that at home. They don't have that in their family. And I pray, God, that our church will be that place where people get matched up like Paul and Timothy got matched up. And the result will be joy and strength and purpose and power and righteousness. And we pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen.